This is the Unique Smiles Podcast, a podcast featuring stories of people with facial paralysis and the challenges they've faced, with your host, Brian April. Hey everybody, it's Brian April here with the Unique Smiles Podcast. I want to send a a quick shout out to our sponsors today at Facial Paralysis and Bell's Palsy Foundation. They're a nonprofit organization uh, who are dedicated to raising awareness of facial paralysis concerns within the medical community and society at large. If you need support, check them out at facialparalysisfoundation.org. That's www.facialparalysisfoundation.org. And while we're at it, I'd send one more shout out to my good friends at Rise Physical Therapy. Rise Physical Therapy has multiple locations throughout San Diego and is the only clinic that treats patients one-on-one with a provider for the whole session. Their individualized approach to therapy helps patients of all ages and diagnoses. They also have access to other facilities and wellness modalities like whole body electric cryotherapy that no other facility has. So check them out, risephysicaltherapy.com, www.riseephysicaltherapy.com. I wanted to just take a quick moment and apologize for the delay that we've had in the past couple months for not having some podcasts up, but life's been a little busy for me. Um, I had a a Comedy Central audition, which went very, very well, and so I was kind of focused on that, trying to get on some television. And then I also recently had a surgery a few weeks ago for a, a weight loss surgery, and that took up a lot of my time, truthfully, in just recovering and prepping for the surgery and feeling ready for it. So that's kind of why there's been a little bit of a lag on the episodes, but we are back now. We are recording again and it's going to be good. I'm feeling good. The surgery's going well. The Comedy Central went well. Bigger and better things coming. All right. Today's podcast, I'm very excited to be joined by um, Faye Wax. Um, Faye, thank you so much for taking uh, time and uh, being with us today. Great to see you, Brian. Of um, course, the second we start this, my dog starts barking. That's okay. It's, <laughs> Sorry about it, that. It, it could be worse. And people love animals, so it, it's, it'll draw people in. We met, just to give a little backstory, we met because I was recovering and uh, on the internet one night and just kind of uh, looking around, and I saw that you were doing this survey about people with facial paralysis on the social and professional impact that facial paralysis had. So I reached out to you. And then we uh, we met up and uh, did an interview. And then from that, you would kind of mention, since we're both in the Southern California area, like, do you know that there's a sport group nearby? And I was like, oh, I had no idea that existed. And that uh, really kind of turned around my whole life with facial paralysis and my whole kind of trajectory of my, my, my life and what, what I was doing. So thank you for that. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. I mean, you've been just such a gift to um, the support group network and it's everything we're trying to do. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. So, so tell us a little bit about your story. Well, so I was already a professor of sociology. I was, um, I still am teaching at Cal Poly Pomona and I was under a lot of stress at the time. I just gone up for tenure, so no stress there. <laughs> I was filing for divorce. And the, I worked for the, at a state university, and we had just been furloughed. So while I was filing for divorce, my salary was cut by ten percent. So so there was a lot of a lot of stress in my life, and 
I basically had sort of classic Bell's palsy. I um, I didn't know what Bell's palsy was, of course, at the time, but it turns out I'm a pretty classic case. The night before, I started having some pretty severe pain in my left ear, and I thought, well, maybe I'm getting an ear infection, maybe I'm congested. So I took some decongestant and went to bed and, you know, got up the next morning, and it still kind of hurt, and I went for a jog, and as I was writing, I was like, you know, I feel a little strange. I said, gosh, I feel weird. I say, I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but I just felt weird. And I came home and I had a temporary roommate at the time. And she actually was actually fairly interesting because she looked at me and she said, um, oh, you look a little strange. And I went, okay. And I sat down and I, and then she came back and she looked at me again. And it's interesting because she actually suffered from depression and she, she identified it backwards. And she actually said, there's something wrong with the right side of your face, which was actually the normal side. She said, it looks like it's unnaturally pulled up, which is really interesting mm. um, because what was actually happening was the left side of my face was developing paralysis and was drooping. So that right there actually told me a little bit about how unhappy she must be at that time <laughs> if she looked at the... <laughs> you know, paralyzed side of my face and thought that looked normal. But I I went, oh, that's strange. And I went, I looked in the mirror and I went, oh, goodness, this is very strange. And I went and I looked at the decongestant I had taken and it had some side effects. And I went, all right, well, this would be extreme for a side effect. And so I did what any normal sort of person would do working from home. I went and I Googled the symptoms. And um, you are having a stroke began flashing across the screen <laughs> in bright lead letters. <laughs> um, yeah. Go directly to the emergency room. And I stopped for a second. I mean, it, it flashes. It's, um, it was kind of, I was actually sort of impressed with Google that they had done that for us. Um, but my mother's a gerontologist. And so I'm sort of well-versed in what the signs of stroke are. And I went, well, I'm not having any of the other signs of stroke. I don't have any balance impairment. I don't have, as far as I could tell, I have no confusion. I have no, you know, I didn't have any mental impairment, at least no more than usual. And um, so I thought, and then I thought, well, if I was having mental impairment, maybe I wouldn't know I was having mental impairment, right? That seems sort of like a logical next step. So I ran to my bookcase and I grabbed... Um, and people in my field always laugh when I tell them, I grabbed a copy of Foucault's Discipline and Punish, which is one of the most obtuse, arcane, difficult-to-read books in my field. And I just said, okay, I'm just going to open this to a random page, and I'm going to start reading. And I, I did, and I went, okay, I understand this. I, I can read Foucault. I don't think I'm having a stroke. And I said, well, let me be sure. And I grabbed an advanced stat book off my shelf. And I said, I'm going to do some multiple regression and I'm going to read some multiple regression equations and see if I can follow them. And I was like, nope, I'm following an advanced stat book. I'm not having a stroke, but something's definitely wrong. Because I, now I can no longer move half my face. And fortunately for me, my childhood best friend is a doctor at the Kaiser that I go to down the street. So I just took a picture. I texted her and I said, you know, something's really wrong with my face. And she said, send me a picture. So I did. And she, she said, go to the ER. I think you have Bell's palsy. So I went to the ER and the ER was packed. I mean, it was wall-to-wall people, standing room only. I've, I've actually never been in the ER with it that crowded before. And... I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be here for like hours and hours and hours. And I, you know, I went up and I 
registered and I, you know, I, I went into the bathroom to wash my face and, you know, pe- there were people throwing up in the bathroom and I was like, oh my God, this is the worst situation. I'm going to be here like a week. And then I walked back out and they called me immediately. And that actually scared me more than anything else had scared me because there were literally a hundred people ahead of me in the CR and they called me first and wow. I went, okay. They're really worried about me. And the woman had looked at me and she had said, she looked at me and she said, um, so why are you here? And I said, well, something's wrong with my face. And she said, you weren't like this before. And I had said, no. And she had said, okay. And so like, I was getting that very strong message, something's seriously wrong. So they took me back. They saw me right away. And, but then they were like, oh, it's so cozy. Don't worry about it. It's going to go away. You'll be fine. We give you some steroids. We give you some antivirals. And I asked them, I said, well, do I need to follow up? Should I make uh, an appointment? Do I need to come back in a few days to check on this? And they actually told me no. Wow. I said, absolutely not. You know, no, no worries. You'll be fine. If you if you really want to see your primary care, you know, you can go ahead and make an appointment for next week, but it's not necessary. You take the antivirals, you take the steroids, it'll be gone, you know, usually three to six months, sometimes sooner, sometimes longer, but we don't, you know, don't worry about it. And I said, okay. And then uh, I said, well, is there anything I should or shouldn't do? And they said, ah, some people, you know, do acupuncture, things like that. But, you know, no, there's nothing you can really do or not do. Just take take the meds. You'll be fine. Go home. I kind of wish they had told me, you need to rest. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish they had told me how strong the meds they were giving me actually are. Right. Because I was like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Right. I'll be fine. I'll just take these meds. I'll go home. I got up the next morning and went to work because I was like, oh, no, my four students, in order to do well on the final, they need me to give them, I need to rush through these lectures. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, do, I drive to work. I give the lecture whole, I, obviously I can't speak because half my face is completely paralyzed. I give the lecture, I'm holding my face in place. <laughs> And I think it was like a four-hour class. And I was like, look, we're only going to stay like two and a half, three hours. I can't, I can't do four hours. I'm not thinking clearly. I'm, but I took the meds. And I got in my car. And I started driving. And I went, I don't feel so good. I'm pulling over. Right? I pulled over. I was like, I can't drive. I pulled over, you know, the first place I could. And I called my parents. And they came and picked me up. And one drove me home. And the other drove my car home. And then I told my the person I was dating, but he was a doctor. And when I told him this, he was like, do, do you understand how strong the drugs you're taking are? He's like, they should have told you how, yeah, he's like, it's amazing to me that you went and worked all day after taking these drugs. These are very strong drugs. He's like that I was not aware of. So that was, um, I would have appreciated a little more of a warning on that. I'm so I went a- home and uh, it didn't get better. You know, I, I'm, I'm a very, I should add, I'm a very compliant patient. I believe in healthcare. I believe in, um, I believe there's reasons doctors tell you to do things. So I was compliant. I took the drugs exactly on schedule when it, I wasn't making that much progress. I went back and they gave me a second round and I did the second round. They told me acupuncture might help. I also had a friend who was an acupuncturist, so I tried it with her. And then I went out and I got an acupuncturist, right? And remember, I'm paying for that out of pocket. I called to make a, a follow-up appointment, even though they told me not to. And I was when I called, it turned out it just so happened that my primary care just happened to be out uh, that week. And then they, you know, they said, "Oh, well, you know, it's probably fine. You'll probably be fine." 
I mean, they did offer to make an appointment with someone else, but they really were just like, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So I just, there was no sort of, hey, maybe you should see a neurologist. Hey, maybe this or maybe that. There wasn't even sort of that real strong discussion of this is a very serious injury to a nerve. You need to rest. It was like most of the information I was getting, like, and I, and I and I get it from their point of view. I get it just as a human being, right? If you're a human being and you're talking to another human being and they're looking at you with fear and um, they're turning to you for help that you really, really don't want to tell them, we have no idea what causes Bell's palsy. We have no idea what's going to make it better. We have no idea if you're going to get better and there's nothing I can do for you. That's really not the message you want to give them. Um, it was a lot more gratitude, like I understand from a psychological perspective why the message you would keep giving me is don't worry, you're going to be fine because then you see me look at you with gratitude and relief and, but it was the wrong message to be giving me because what it ended up doing is I went out and, and did all these things like acupuncture. Um, they offered me Easton with the acupuncture when after Three to six months, I was seeing no progress. I went back a day. Kaiser gave me an Easton machine and showed me how to use it and told me that this was the thing that would really, that I was getting, you know, my nerves were regenerating and this would really help, that this would help strengthen, that probably it was just residual weakness and this would help strengthen things. And what is a, what is an Easton just for people who, who may not know? Uh, for people who don't know, it's, it depends, you know, there's different types and there's different levels and I'm not a medical professional but what they gave me was a machine with um little pads that i would attach to different points on my face that they uh, instructed me to to use and then it provides electrical stimulation to the nerves unfortunately what we now know and unfortunately what was actually suspected at that time by people who are experts but not well known among general people was that that actually um, makes synchronesis worse and that if you're not, for Bell's palsy in particular, if you're not seeing progress, um, what's actually probably happening is synchronesis and you, the last thing you should be doing is Easton. So, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest messages that I'd really like to get out to the medical community and also to other people is don't do the Easton because that was what I was explicitly being told to do. And as a compliant patient, I was doing this every day. I was like, I was doing it while, while I was worked. I would do it when I, yeah, I mean, I was very compliant. Uh, a primary care physician's job is not to stay abreast of these specialty conditions, but really is to more stay current on the things that are most likely to walk into their clinic. And so I think one of the most important things patients need to do is no matter how great your primary care or your internist is, you need to get to a specialist and not just any specialist, but a specialist who has seen Bell's palsy or Ramsey Hunt or acoustic neuroma or facial paralysis in general, whatever the cause of your facial paralysis is, you've got to get to a specialist just because that it's their job to stay current on facial paralysis. And one of the real problems is the more, depending on your location, I mean, for me, I'm in Los Angeles. Great. That's, that's, makes it easy, but there's a lot of people in lots of places that don't have access to specialists at all. And that's a really difficult, frustrating situation. So how would you recommend somebody try to find out what 
who they should go see for a specialist, you know? You know, I think there's a, there's a great, there's now, now starting to be these wonderful networks online. And I think they, the, the online resources um, can be really good. And then just sort of, I get asking for referrals through doctors to the right specialties. And when you get to that person, you know, the first question is how many other people with facial paralysis have you seen in the last year, and if the answer is zero, then you ask that person for a referral to someone who has seen more people like that. The main problem is if you're very isolated or you're very rural or you don't have health insurance in the United States, your options are really limited to the research that you're going to be able to do on your own. And that's one of the most, um, I sort of thought, that's sort of what actually started me researching this, to be honest, was when I looked at how much difficulty I was having as a person with a PhD whose specialty actually already was health in the body and with a spouse who is a medical professional, you know, he's a radiologist, so it's it's a little different, um, but he was going, he was actually going to friends that were neurologists and saying, what does she need to ask for? What words does she need to eat? Right. Like he basically would go and ask for explicit statements for me to make for me to get the tests that they were recommending done or get to the right specialist. So just a real easy example is syntonesis is not a neurological problem. It's a movement disorder. So when I would say to the person on the phone, just who just does the scheduling the doctor's appointments, I have Bell's palsy. It's now turned into synchinesis. They wouldn't know what synchinesis was, so they would send me to neurology. Mm-hmm. You know, after two years of going to neurology and sort of, uh, you know, that disease involving unnecess- an unnecessary spinal tap and neurology sort of not really knowing what to do with me, just a nurse sort of turned to me and said, hey, how come you're not seeing Dr. Chun? I noticed you're not seeing Dr. Chun. And I was like, well, who's Dr. Chun? And she's like, oh, he's our movement disorder specialist. He usually does the people with synchinesis. And I'm sort of like, gee, I, I don't know. How come I'm not seeing Dr. Chun, right? Because I had been really clear about what the problem was, but I hadn't used that keyword movement disorder. Okay. And so like the sort of learning learning to that you have to like ask for very specific things like that. Um, as soon as I got to Dr. Chun, the Botox for pain that I'd been asking for for three years, I was able to get done because he got right away what I was asking for. And he's like, no, no, this isn't, because up until then, they were like, we don't cover cosmetic things. He was like, he's like, no, this isn't cosmetic. It's so she can talk and not be in pain. That's amazing. Thank it, you. It's it's amazing <laughs> that the hoops that uh, we have to jump through. So this started to get you into this uh, research, the study that- Right, so, so as I, you know, as I was sort of experiencing this, and it's sort of funny, so as I'm going through this, I started asking myself the question, like, gee, what do, what do, what do people who don't have a PhD and know how to wade through 25 different websites to find the three that are actually purely research-based and aren't actually trying to sell them something, Right, because that yeah, I know that was the other thing too. Is I could find lots of places that wanted to sell me things or recommend the service they were going to provide, and that's not to say you know like the facial paralysis institute certainly is connected to a place that provides treatment, but there's a difference in like you know like the Charles Bell Society, the Facial Paralysis Institute, the Eye Center. Like you saw very different things when you finally got to them. But I mean, I'm a one of my other areas is media. So like I'm very highly media literate. I don't expect other people to have the level of media literacy that I have at this point. And so I started to ask, like, 
are they are all these other people getting stuck at these other places and not getting good accurate information and good and the kind of help they want the and the other side of it is the insurance side is even people with insurance aren't getting a lot of things covered like the botox where they would say oh it's cosmetic and if you have synkinesis i mean it sure it makes you look better but generally it's for pain and again you have to use the right word your body adjusts to pain and after a while it becomes discomfort well if you use the word discomfort you just shot yourself in the foot when it comes to getting help you have to use the word pain right discomfort is something you can live with and you are living with it and you can live with it but if you say pain Pain management is a legitimate medical specialty. Discomfort management isn't. And with facial paralysis, for people with synkinesis, the pain is tightness in your face. It's like a muscle's tight all the time. I, I honestly didn't realize how much pain I was living with until my first surgery when a lot of it went away. And I went, oh. I mean, it's like when you come out of surgery and you're all swollen and you're stitched up and the pain meds start wearing off and you still recognize that you're living, going to be living with less pain than you were living with before, that tells you how much pain you were actually living with. What was the surgery you went in for? I had a severely deviated septum, and I, not only did I have severe allergies, but I really couldn't breathe. And then with the facial paralysis on top of that, I think when I find, when I, they went in and took a, uh, actually did take a look, um, they were telling me I was getting something like 12% of the air I should be getting through my nose. So at first I did just the, uh, an open septorhinoplasty where they rebuilt my nose. And again, like I woke up with, you wake up with, with, with splints in your nose that are about eight, six to eight inches long. It's really a miserable experience. And your face is all swollen, your nose is swollen. And I woke up going, I've never breathed this well through my nose. This is amazing. <laughs> I never used the right words when I was at the doctor. I just kept saying, oh, I'm, I'm really congested. I'm having trouble breathing. I'm, and it was only when I went to see Dr. Aziz today, and he took a good look, where he's like, well, you can't breathe because you have a deviated septum. <laughs> oh. So that was the first surgery. And then the second surgery I did, Dr. Aziz today did a surgery called selective neurolysis. And I got patient number 26 in the world on this surgery. And this is specifically for synkinesis. Uh, what they do is they basically turn off some of the nerves that are overactive. It won't give you back additional strength in, in the parts that are active, but it will help you build that strength with the physical therapy over time. And so he basically goes in and maps your nerves and turns off as much as he thinks he can turn off without impairing function. You do lose a little function. I lost a little frown, but I got back a lot of smiles. And you're, and you're happy with that trade-off? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was well aware of the trade-off that I was making, and I figured, you know, that. And in addition to that, while he was in there, he also did a brow, uh, he did a brow lift to even out my eyebrows because I don't have a lot of um, muscle tone in one eyebrow. And then while he was there, and this was pure vanity, they also took fat from my stomach and just put it in to get rid of the bags under my eyes because they're like, hey, we're cutting up your face. <laughs> That was pure vanity, and let me be clear, I am not at all sorry. I did that, lost fat in my stomach, gained, got rid of the bags under my eyes. Win-win. Right. (laughs) And so, and then what I'm doing on Thursday, so I'm going back for my next surgery on Thursday, and it's basically going to be a a little more selective neurolysis. Um, We're just going to try to get the corner of my mouth up a little bit more 
so last time when he did the brow lift, they went uh, in the upward direction. And as I'm getting older, it's sort of coming down sideways a little bit from the side. And so they're going to go back. He's gonna, and, and I knew that this would need to be done eventually um, all along. Like I was aware that I would be going back for this all along. And they're going to just sort of take it a little to the side. And in addition, if you have thin kinesis and really deep set eyes like I do, your eyelids will start to droop into your eyes and occlude your vision. And so because of the facial paralysis, that's already happening a little bit. And so I thought, well, I could just keep waiting while it gets worse and worse and worse and annoys me more and more and more. Or I can just take care of it now. So I'm, they're going to um, remove some of the skin above my eyelids and just kind of take a little bit out there just so that I don't like, like when I look up right now, I see some of that skin, which you're not supposed to see. The selective uh, neurolysis, I was, uh, you, you had told me about that, and that looked really interesting, and I I'm still uh, would like to get that. Have you seen the videos that are out there of him performing that? It's amazing. Yes, sort of. I started watching it and then had that thought of that's going to be you, like I was sure watching last week, next week, and I said, you need to stop watching. I was like, stop watching right now, stop watching right now, stop watching right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those who haven't seen it, it, it looked like... Um, it, it looked like something out of a, like a sci-fi movie where they're working on a robot and they hit like certain wires and then like the, the robot's hand or finger will move or, or anything like that, like Terminator. But it was with the, the person's smile and uh, you could just see it. It was, the, it was really fascinating. Plus, I had never seen underside of somebody's face before under their skin. So I thought it was going to be really bloody and gross and it wasn't at all. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. It's a very cool, and it's also a very fairly new procedure. So. Yeah, it was patient 26, the first one. Wow. Did that give you any pause in just knowing that it was you were that new into it? You know, it's interesting because I, at this point in time, have a, I'm a pretty good judge of people. I've sort of learned to trust that. And, and as soon as I met, you know, Dr. Azizadeh, I was like, this, this is the guy. Like, he uses... The way he talks to me, I really understand him very clearly. I like his ethics. He's very clear about what he can do and what he can't do. He's very clear about success rates. He's very clear about likely challenges you're going to face. Very clear about the trade-offs you're making. And, um, and all of those things really appealed to me. And then in addition to that, what really sort of put me all in on him is I could just tell he was the kind of person who would be driven crazy himself by anything he thought he could have done better with you. He's a perfectionist. Um, and on top of that, I hate to say this, but you're working on my face. Right? You're not working on my back. You're not working on my leg. You're working on my face. This is a man who understands aesthetics, balance, and beauty. I looked around his office and went, this, everything in this room is perfectly balanced. You know, it's like he understands aesthetics in this really deep way. I mean, I have to admit, part of what sold me on him, too, was his haircut. I was like, <laughs> that, I mean, I looked at the haircut, I'm like, that is a very nice haircut. And um, right, there were just sort of these subtleties in, in the way he was self-presenting. So I think the lesson we can take out of this is judge your doctor by their haircut, I believe. I believe that's what <laughs> well, you're saying. Well, not necessarily. Yeah, sort of. Um, I say take that holistic picture into account. And, you know, again, if I were having back surgery, I might go to a person 
I, I frankly, if I was there, I was having back surgery, I would be looking for a person who was very athletic and physicality and athleticism really mattered to them because I would recognize that they would be very cognizant of functionality issues. Right. right. And that's a, a really, that's such a great point. Uh, usually for me, it's just kind of like a, like I chose like my primary because he made me laugh out loud. And I was like, okay, if he can make me <laughs> laugh out loud, I'm good with this guy. I like this guy. So we're going to uh, wrap up the first part of this, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about your, your study and, and what you, you found. But just from a, a more personal aspect, what, um, do you have any advice or what do you say to people who are, are kind of struggling um, with facial paralysis, no matter you know, if they're in the beginning of their journey or they're kind of like floating around, maybe they've had it for a year, two years, and they're kind of just not really sure what, what they should be doing. Do you have any advice to people? Well, you know, it's as hard as it is, is you have to keep getting out. You've got to go out there and find your place, right? Because if you stay inside and you hide, it's going to get worse, right? And what does everyone do when they get facial paralysis? I'm going to stay inside and it will get better and then I will go out. And then for the people who it doesn't get better, you're now in, like, when you see people who have been, like, they stayed in, they decided to do this and then two weeks went by and then a month went by. And then, you know, and there were several interviews I gave where when I really started pressing the person on, you know, and I'm not trying to make people upset, but, you know, what was your life like before? What's your life like now? We're, you know, halfway through the interview, they would sort of say to me, oh my God, like, <laughs> I haven't been out in six months, you know, or, you know, one person, you know, she, she was, she actually said, she's like, thank you for this. I'm, I'm calling, as soon as we get off the phone, I am calling a therapist because she's like, I used to go out four nights a week and I, I'm going out, you know, I'm almost never going out now. And, and what, you know, I've, I have to get out. Right. It's, and it's hard. Believe me. I, um, I had a vacation plan one month after I got Bell's palsy, um, going to be the holiday break or I think it might have even been two to three weeks after and you know and I sort of debated like do I cancel my trip to Costa Rica and I was like I and at that point you know I was done with the drugs I you know felt a lot better um and I had gotten super super lucky that my blink the one thing that came back really fast for me was my blink the one thing that you know is that that's very dangerous is your is the what can happen to your eye and I got really lucky and I could close my eye pretty early on so I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Costa Rica. And so we went down to Costa Rica and we were doing this beautiful hike. And I saw this family with their cute kids. And I smiled at the little girl as she walked by and she looked at my face. And she, and unfortunately for me, I understand enough Spanish to understand that she was screaming, oh, my God, it's a monster. It's a witch. And she ran away from me. Wow. Um, yeah, and I was like, okay. And then like, I had to sort of be like, I just made a child scream with my face. <laughs> okay right and you know I was like well you know you gotta sort of be sanguine about it well all right then so like yeah getting out and or somebody else they told the story they went out with the same thing they had this trip planned with their fiance and they were like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna take the trip anyway and they went out and they were out with their fiance and they heard uh the, the couple the, the two couples at the next table talking about how sweet it was that he took his disabled sister on vacation oh. and she was crushed Right. She, she's like, I was crushed. Like, I thought I was his beautiful bride to be. And they're talking about, and she's like, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly be the woman he's dating because I'm horribly deformed now. 
and she's like, that was crushing. But she said the same thing I did. It's like, but I still needed to be out there because even though, and both of us, we both had the same reaction and quite a few other people shared similar reactions. It's like, it's crushing at first, but it's also eye-opening because it also gives you um, empathy for how, how many times did maybe you judge, make a judgment about someone in public where it was the wrong judgment that maybe hurt them, right? Or, or how many times do all of us make assumptions about something that we really shouldn't be making assumptions about? So I thought the people who coped with it the best were the people... Well, well, okay, so here's the hard part. The people who coped with it best were the people who had the most resources to start off with. So... The tragedy, I mean, the tragedy of it is we as a society, I mean, as much as I'd like to give advice to individuals, I think the real advice I would have is we as a society need to get our act together with medical care because the the greatest predictor of how well people did was what they had to start off with. So if you came from a safe family environment and you had class privilege or a high level of education or were in an urban center, you were far more likely to have very positive outcomes. Whereas by contrast, the, the poorer you were, the less white you were, the, um, the more likely you were to have these negative outcomes. So that's one of the biggest issues I saw were that um, for people like me who had a high level of education, have health insurance, have class privilege, um, you know, have racial privilege and all these other forms of privilege, you know, I was eventually able to get the help I needed, but a lot of people weren't. Or they were treated very poorly to start off with, and that sort of scared them away for going back to get the medical help they needed. The more privileged your job was, the less it affected you professionally. The more, um, the lower down sort of the employment ladder you were, the more it affected you professionally. So, like, so someone like me, I mean, I actually, I honestly believe it. In some ways, it really helped my career because people like, oh, wow, you're so brave to go on after this, right? Like, mm-hmm. I get a lot of that. Um, I've turned it into a research project. I've, I've, people are fascinated, you know, people think it, it really fits with my research, but, um, other people who worked on the lower end, um, some of them lost their jobs. Some of them got bullied out of the jobs. Um, I talked to one woman who was sort of told point blank. She was a hairdresser. She's sort of told point blank. You're not, nobody wants to look at you while they're doing, you're doing their hair. Um, and frankly, this was actually a, a very attractive woman, who the first thing I thought when I saw her was, oh my goodness, her hair is amazing. That is amazing hair. And then she thought, well, I actually trained as a hairdresser and I wanted to be a hairdresser and I was considered to be quite a good hairdresser, but I was repeatedly told that no salon wants, by fancy salons, that no one wants to look at a face like mine. Wow. So she switched, she switched into tech. She's like, yeah, in tech, uh, I get less pushback on my face. So it's so it's not that's right. So like that's I think we need to start. That's really where we need to get as much as I for individuals, I would say you need to get to a specialist. You need to not give up if you feel like the care is is not um, accurate or adequate. Um, you need to get to a mental health care provider because almost everybody with facial paralysis at least went through a situational or temporary. Um, you know, I can't diagnose depression. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Uh, however, everyone described to me symptoms that are classic to depression. Um, pretty much almost every single person, at least for a short period of time after. In addition, what I talk about, what I'll talk about a lot more in the research is synkinesis mimics 
negative emotional states in your face. So it will create a negative emotional feeling in your mind. Um, and so you have to treat, you have to treat that. That has to be treated. That's a real problem that people with synkinesis have. Um, what, what people will tell you is, oh, you're just mopey about your face. And it's the other way around. It's no, the tightening in your face is tricking your mind into feeling emotions. Uh, and that's a very subtle, difficult thing. But um, Botox is not cosmetic. It's for pain management and um, talking. And even if it is cosmetic, we treat lots of other conditions that have cosmetic components. And we respect that as part of the person's self-esteem and the whole person. Or to put it very simply, one of the women I talked, or a couple of women actually, were breast cancer survivors. And all of them had had their breast or breast rebuilt, covered by their health care, because it would have been damaging to the self-esteem if the body wasn't rebuilt. One of them said very clearly, yeah, I'm glad, glad they rebuilt my breast. That was nice. I'm, I'm happy that, you know, sure, makes it easier. She's like, but she was like, let me, she said, let me be 100% clear. My face is far more damaging to my self-esteem than my breast ever was. But my Botox isn't even covered. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That's just, yeah. I, that's always fascinating to me about that. And I, I just hope that uh, going forward, we'll be able to have stuff like that covered as, as more and more research comes out. And uh, hopefully your research will help uh, change some of that, hopefully. And uh, so, yeah, and just and coverage for everyone. And just, yeah. I, just I know, I know, not everyone, but I, I certainly <laughs> also talk to my share of people who went bankrupt because they, Ramsey, as you know, Ramsey Hunt is more serious than Bell's palsy. It sometimes prevents you from working for a period of time. Um, so I talked to several people with Ramsey Hunt who had to declare bankruptcy because of Ramsey Hunt syndrome and not having insurance or having inadequate insurance mm -hmm. or losing their job and then losing their insurance.